listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. But Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to get right into the word here, starting at verse 27. These are the words of Jesus, and he said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. We are living in a very sensual age. You all know that. You see that. I mean, even today, perhaps on your way to church, or if you've been on your phones at all today, you see that we live in a very sensual society. Our, our, our culture is just inundated with it. Um, this is a culture like none other that is, is where sex is so accessible, accessible, and available on demand, even if you would so want it to be so. From pornography to prostitution to hookup apps like Tinder or Bumble or others that, uh, that are out there to child pornography and sex trafficking. It is just filth. It, we, we see our society is just obsessed with it. it. It's all over social media, advertising in order to sell deodorant or soap. Sex images are used to be able to do that and just to get us to buy some deodorant so we smell better. And, and, and yet it, it, it's just so incredible the way it's all over the place. It's used to sell anything and everything. I heard one preacher recently say that in our society, the way that we see it, it is so filled with sexual sin and, and everything that is going on in our world when it comes to sex is that um, this one preacher said, and I would have to agree with him, that what is going on in our society today would make Sodom and Gomorrah blush. And I could read to you now and I could fill you up with all kinds of statistics about the billion-dollar industry in pornography and how it's growing and it's more popular than, than, um, than NFL football uh, hockey, NBA, basketball, the revenues are greater for that in our world than, than those uh, great institutions that people pour so much money and are worth billions of dollars. We could talk about other kind of statistics, how this isn't now simply just simply what was once considered an issue for men. Statistics are showing that the struggle is very real and increasing in pornography and sexual sin in different areas with, with women as well. Statistics uh, out there showing that this isn't just something that is a big deal and is happening outside the church, that the struggle is very real within the body of Christ. And that there are today those who are in bondage to sexual sin that are in bondage to what we're going to talk about today. And today, I want to declare to you folks today that today is a day of freedom. Today is a day that you can be set free. This is a day, this can be a new day, a new beginning in your life. And Jesus desires and wants to bring that to each one that is here today. That's why in the prayer that I gave a little earlier where the Spirit of God is there is freedom. And he wants to set us free, and he desires to do that, and he will do it. He is ready and available, but we also must be willing and available. 
I'm not sharing with you any more statistics and different things because those are just used to shock us into, it's a big issue, or to guilt us thinking, yeah, okay. Because those statistics and percentages won't transform you. Only Jesus Christ has the power to transform you. Only Jesus Christ has the power to set us free ultimately from this area of sin and and this bondage, this addiction, this stronghold, whatever we may want to call it. And God's word has so much to say about sex. It it talks about its beauty and, and its awesomeness. And I don't want to diminish and and turn it into something that turn people into a bunch of prudes and think that God is against sex. He is not. We're going to see that a little later on. It's awesome and it is good. But the Bible contains many warnings about sexual immorality, which I think I should give a definition to right from the start here this morning so that we're aware of what we're talking about. God's word declares, we see it in this passage and we see it through the whole of Scripture This isn't my definition. This is from the word of God that sexual immorality is anything in our minds, sin within our bodies, any sort of sex that is outside a committed marriage relationship between a male and a female. Anything else the Bible, God himself considers to be sexual sin or sexual immorality. And so you might be thinking, but how is it possible, Meldon? It's surrounded all around us. I'm weak, and the pressure is so great in and around us. How can we make it? How can we stay pure? How can we live a life of purity when it's all around us? Is purity even possible? Is lust a winnable battle? This past week, Nate and I, my 17-year-old son, we've been batching a little bit as Charlotte has been in Saskatchewan for a few days and getting back this afternoon. Uh, And so we were uh, relying on a restaurant one evening to fill a void in our stomachs. And so as we were enjoying a meal together, I I noticed on the outside of the restaurant, I watched two college-age men walking together hand in hand. And I made some comment about it, and, and, and my 17-year-old son says, Dad, that's just normal for me to see. I know it's still shocking for you to see, but he says, this has been my life. This is what we see constantly and consistently, and it becomes a part of it. And, and a, part, a big part of me made me sad that the, we become so desensitized to, to this sort of activity and to sexual immorality and to allowing it in our lives and in our thinking. So what do we do with this? Do we just give up and just give in? Do we set our own standard? You know, I'll go this far, I'll go this far, I'll do this, but no further. Or do we just dismiss it and say it's not that big of a deal? We can get forgiveness, we can get, you know, and, 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 and God will forgive us for this area. Who's going to set the standard in your life? Who's going to set the standard in our lives when it comes to this? Grandparents, Who's going to set that standard in your grandchildren? Parents, who sets that standard in your home? May it be the word of God and what we see in his word today and in the whole of of, of scripture in this. And, And that's why there's going to be many verses for you to encourage you to write down the references and study it this week. There's different ways that we justify sexual sin and lust. I have needs. I have desires. And God knows my heart. He'll understand We're fooling ourselves, folks, if we think that we can soak ourselves in the sewage of this world and think that it won't affect us, because it will. And so I ask that question, how does one stay pure? How can one live a radical, pure life in a society, in a culture, in a mind, an individual mind that's on fire with lust and sex? 
Psalm 119, that question is asked, how can a young man, how can a middle-aged man, how can an old man, how can an old woman, how can a young woman, how can a middle-aged woman keep their mind pure, keep their way pure? By guarding it according to the word of God. And so today we want to build that guard. We want to build those walls in our life of what God's word declares to us this morning so we can walk and live in freedom. So God can do a new work in us. Jesus, earlier in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Many of us are not experiencing God's presence and God's power in our lives because our hearts are not pure. And today we're going to look at ways and see that through confession and through admitting the area in our lives that are bringing us down, that are causing impurity in our lives as we cleanse those and as those are cleansed by the Spirit of God through the blood of Christ, that we can be set free. And so in this passage that we're going to look at here today that I've already read for you this morning, we're going to work through it. Through these verses together, we see four instructions when it comes to sexual purity from this passage. Four instructions, I encourage you to write these down. Jesus is very blunt here. He's very clear. And what he has to say is very serious because he even mentions the word hell two times in relationship to this. And when we hear that, we need to pay attention. Folks, it's life and death serious. It's slavery or freedom. It's spiritual victory or living and walking in continual spiritual defeat in our lives. It's heaven and hell that even hangs in the balance when it comes to this. And so it's very serious. So Jesus is very blunt. And so the first thing I encourage you to write down is that we must be convinced of the authority of Jesus Christ. Does Jesus Christ and his words have authority in your life? Verse 27, Jesus says, you, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, Remember last week we heard that again when Jesus says you shall not commit murder, but I say to you, Jesus is raising the standard. He's establishing himself as king, as Messiah. He's coming with greater authority, with greater clarity. And he'll say that six times to the end of the chapter as he takes a commandment or a standard from the Old Testament and he's deepening it, he's bringing it clarity and he's going after ultimately the heart. You see, so much of the Old Testament laws focus mainly on external actions. Living the part, looking the part, saying the right part. And Jesus and, and the people back then even kind of thought, hey, we're doing this. The scribes and the Pharisees were like, oh yes, we've been able to keep the law. In fact, we've added more laws and more commandments and more principles that we can follow because we're such holy people and we're able to do it. Remember the rich young ruler when Jesus said, hey, keep the commands. He says, I've done that. I've done it. I've lived a perfect life. I'm living a perfect life. I'm doing this. And, and Jesus said, gave him another command to do. And he's like, eh, I'm not going to do that. You see, so oftentimes we think, well, if the externals are right, you know, that's what's important. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. He says, we're going after the heart. We're going after the motives. We're going after the inside. And so last week and again today, we see that Jesus is just blowing out of the water any kind of idea, any sort of thinking that goes along like this. I may not be the best person, but at least I'm not like that person. You do that? I do it all the time. Compare ourselves with others. Making it seem, okay, I'm not so bad. At least I'm not a drug dealer. They might be rich, but, you know, at least I'm not a drug dealer. Although I guess their profits are being cut into a little bit more. I may not be the best person, but at least I haven't committed adultery. I may struggle with porn, 
I may struggle with lust. I may struggle in areas of my mind, in my imagination, but at least I haven't committed adultery with anyone, <laughs> not like some other people I know. And Jesus draws our attention to the heart. He's exposing the heart because it's on the inside that matters most. It's on the inside that counts. And when the heart is transformed, then the actions do it. You see, external actions won't change the heart. The only hope that we have for a changed heart is through outside help. And that outside help comes through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It comes through Christ and from him alone. You see, Jesus just wasn't a good teacher. He just, and, and this is why it's so important that we come under his authority. Are you convinced, convinced of the authority of Jesus that he was simply not a good teacher, a miracle man, a historical figure, which history just shows you can't even debunk that one. Jesus was a historical figure, a miracle man. He was more than that. He's king of kings and he's Lord of lords. He came as God in human flesh, lived a perfect life, set the standard for our lives. And he died in our place, bearing the sin, our sin upon himself, taking upon himself the wrath of God, the punishment that we deserve, and imparting his righteousness to us, to all who believe in him, who confess their sins, who repent, which means turn away from our way, our agenda, our way of living, our thoughts, and we accept him as the authority in our lives and his word is the authority. Have you accepted the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives? Individually, we must receive him by faith and receive his perfect right righteousness. And when we confess our sins, he forgives us. When we turn from our sins, he empowers us and strengthens us by his spirit to live a life of purity and holiness. In the moment that we are forgiven, when we come to Jesus Christ, we become his adopted child. And he loves us. He redeems us. Have you accepted him today as your Lord and your Savior? And if you've done that, have you, are you acknowledging his authority even in this matter of your life? Are you acknowledging, are you convinced of his authority? Is he your Savior and your Lord? You can't have one without the other. It's biblically impossible. And folks, our own theology and, and different things that we'll come up with and that you'll even at times hear, sometimes in declared in churches, but you need to understand this, it is biblically impossible to have Jesus as your Savior and reject or avoid Him as your Lord by rejecting His Word and His authority in our lives. And so that's why when Jesus says, and that's why this verse 27 is so important, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, there's weight and there's authority, and it's like, come on, listen up, this is important, what we're going to be talking about, you got to pay attention and you see, it, the reason why he brings this up is because this is one of these areas, just in the same way that anger can, uh, just is, is the root of many other um, areas of sin, lust is an area that can lead to so many other areas of sin in our lives. But our sexuality may be an area where we think, well, I can reject him as Lord in that area as king. I can reject him in this area, he's still my savior. I'll just think and do what I want in this area. But folks, that's dangerous living and it can reveal something very dangerous about your heart that we'll get to. And so today Jesus says some very pointed words about sexual purity. But it starts with, are you convinced on this? Because if you're not, then you don't need to pay attention to this. 
But if Jesus Christ is your Savior and he's your Lord and you're his child, these are truths we need to be not just informed about, we need to be convinced about and take action towards. And so, the second thing that we see here in this passage, the first one convinced about his authority, the second one is we must understand that this is my sin. This is my sin, and sin is serious. Verse 27, Jesus says, You have heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, when we think about sexual immorality, once again, it's so easy to think of others, isn't it? You know, remember the little stickman figure, or the little uh, drawings we, we had last week? It's so easy for us to take and, and, and look at someone else and point the finger. As we point the finger, we go on to the next one, uh, where, you know, and say, that is a murderer. That is an adulterer. And it's so easy for us to point the finger, but in reality, what we end up seeing and what Jesus is exposing in these first two, uh, last week and again this week, if we go on to the next one, is that he draws a much bigger circle. And it's no longer just you and me. Let's go on to the next one. It's all of us. This is a universal problem. This isn't just a problem that a few people suffer with. This is a universal problem that we will all struggle and, and, and be tempted in. Yet it's so easy for us to point the finger and say there is an adulterer, but what Jesus is showing, that even by having a little bit, a little tinge of lust in our heart at one time in our life, we are considered an adulterer. That's how God sees it. We see the seriousness of sin, and we see this is my sin. And so Jesus is saying we're all guilty, that anyone who has lusted has committed adultery in the heart. And Jesus is pointing to all of us in this, and it's a universal problem that we're struggling with, that we all struggle with. But Jesus is wanting to reveal that there's hope and there's help. He comes. That's what the cross was all about, to bring us freedom, to bring us forgiveness from this. Every one of us, every one of us adulterers. And so Jesus is showing that, that this kind of sin, it flows from the heart. It starts in the mind. It starts in the heart of, of who we are. Just as anger is the beginning of murder, lust is the beginning of adultery. And so what does Jesus mean when he says with lustful intent? I don't know what, if you don't have an ESV, I don't know what your Bible will say, but, um, but what does lustful intent mean in verse 28? I love what John Piper has to say. You can just write this down. It won't be on the screen. It says, lust is sexual desire minus honor and holiness. Lust is sexual desire minus honor and holiness. When we remove honor towards others to other human beings, when we lust after them, we're devaluing them because they have been made in the image of God. And we're taking something that he has made beautiful and we are turning that person, that image, into something that does not bring glory to God. As well as in the holiness part is that lust is sexual desire minus holiness. This doesn't bring glory to God in our lives. You see, lust, and I want to clarify a little bit what it is so that you're not falsely uh, thrown into areas of, of guilt and, and, and shame in your life in this. And, and folks, I, I want you to know this, this message is not about condemnation. It is about allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us so we can be set free and walk in the freedom that he so desires and that he has for us. So lust is not a casual look. It's not just casually looking because you see people all the time, but it's a persistent look. 
Lust is seeing a good-looking person and not just leaving it there, taking it to that next level. Perhaps undressing them with our eyes or in our mind or thinking, I've got to have that person. That's when it crosses the line. It's not just seeing a good-looking person. And there's times my family finds me, and you may find me a little weird. Um, yeah, don't, don't agree on that too, too easily. Um, when we'll come home, we'll be talking about something, maybe it's after church, or maybe it's, you know, after we've been out somewhere and we're talking with someone and say, that is one good-looking guy. And I can say that about men, and I feel completely comfortable and fine saying that about men. That is one gorgeous man. Like, he's just beautiful, like the way that God has made him. I can say that about, what, about a woman as well. There's nothing wrong with adoring, and, and not adoring, but being able to look at God's creation and saying, that's beautiful. I mean, just because, you know, some of you can't look in the mirror and say that every morning, like me, I can't do that, but some of you maybe can, or maybe you do and you shouldn't. Uh, and then you've got an ego, you're a little arrogant, and we'll bring you back down to speed uh, to where you should be, in love, of course. But lust can happen with images on TV, newspaper, social media, reconnecting with old friends, classmates on Facebook, folks. Facebook, social media can be one of the worst things because all of a sudden your mind gets thinking, oh, what about this person I went to high school with? What about this person from college? What about an old fling that I had? What about an old girlfriend, boyfriend? And and, and I, I heard and understand that there have been more marriage breakups and affairs and different things that have happened in people's homes and, and in marriages because of that. It's that lingering scrolling where we're looking through endlessly. It can happen in coffee shops as we look at other people. It can happen in the shopping mall. It can happen in one's mind. You don't even need to have an actual person, but you can create lustful and have lustful images and thoughts even in one's own mind and imagination. Remember, it's not the first look, it's the second look. It's that dwelling look. It's, 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 it's realizing and being tempted or I'm being able to see this and what do we do with this? I remember when I was in college, when I was in Bible college and as a freshman in the dorm life, that was quite the life at times and there were some really interesting things that took place there as well as some very good conversations and as well as some not so good conversations, of course, that kind of goes along with guys in a dorm situation. But one night we got talking about the area of lust and sexual sin. It was a wonderful conversation. And we got talking about this very thing. It's not the first look that's wrong. It's the second look that takes us over the edge. That's oftentimes the second look that we take and we start do, thinking things in our mind that we ought not to think. And so then one smart guy piped up and he says, so guys, just make sure you take a really good long first look. You know, and it's just like the way we're always looking for the loopholes. We're always looking for a way out, you know, and, and just thinking, you know, okay, I'm not taking my eyes off now and I'm going to just stay here because then if I look away and come back, then it's sin. No, I mean, it, it doesn't work that way. James 1, 14, verses 14 and 15, it says this, but each of us, underline each, because this is something that we're all going to struggle with in one area in our life or another, and so this is a very real thing, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's a serious thing. It's not just a little matter. In the area of lustfulness in our mind, lust in our actions can bring forth death. And we'll see that in a few moments. 
But I want you to know it's not lust to be attracted to someone or to notice that he or she is good looking. I want to reaffirm that. It's not lust to have a strong desire for sex. It isn't. It's not lust to anticipate and look forward to having sex within marriage. I remember as a teenager, and again in my college years, like, oh, Lord, I, as I studying the Word of God and realizing that he could return at any time, and, you know, you know just there's a few times in my life I got really scared that the rapture was happening, you know, that Jesus was going to return. You, you ever have one of those moments, and, and uh, uh, either I was scared or whatever it might be, but I remember thinking, oh, God, please, please do not send Jesus until at least after my wedding night. As a teenager, as a young guy, hey, nothing wrong with that. Don't pray away sexual desire. Pray that it is put in the right place. Become a man of God, a woman of God, someone who loves the word and prepares yourself for that right person at the right time in marriage. Because God has something beautiful in store for this, but we have, can easily take and and see it just so destructive in our lives, and our families. We must realize we all struggle. We've all struggled in this. But God's grace and his victory and his healing is available. His forgiveness to all, all who come to him, all who ask. Third thing, guard all that is good. Guard all that is good. And, and again, I want you to understand that what we're looking at this passage is not saying sex is bad. Don't think about it. Don't, you know, just, you know, just ignore it. And, and that. No, it's good. And we are to guard. We are to guard all that is good. And the reason why Jesus is warning us about this and God's word is teaching us so clearly about this is because sex is good. It's amazing. See, sex isn't the problem. Lust is the problem. Sex is a gift, an incredible gift. He's not against it. He created it. It wasn't like one day, you know, he, you know, turned his back on Adam and Eve for a few moments and was, hey, you two, what are you guys doing? You know, like, who took... No. He created it. It was to be a beautiful gift where two people become one. If, if he wanted for reproduction issues and possibilities for it to be something that, I mean, ultimately he's got, he could have made it just where you kind of pollinate each other. You know, the guy just takes, licks his finger and touches the girl's belly button and is just like, hey, you're pregnant. I mean, he could have done that, right? But no. He allowed it to be in something that is beautiful and amazing the mingling of souls, of two people becoming one flesh. It's God's plan right from the start for pleasure, for goodness, for enjoyment. The, the book of Song of Solomon is a book in the entire book of the Bible devoted between the love of a bride and a groom and their sexual relationship. They use some pretty crazy imagery back there. You know, and maybe it's a good thing, but it's, it, it's pretty R-rated in its description. Some of you are like, I'm going to go home and read Song of Solomon tonight. It's amazing, the description and the enjoyment that God wants us to have for one another. And so we want to guard what is good. We want to encourage what is good. And it's beautiful and amazing 
within the parameters. And so we want to build walls, the walls that scripture has built around it so it can, the high walls to protect, protect what is precious and is a special gift from God. So we want to guard all that is good. And fourthly, radical action must be taken. Radical action must be taken to protect it, to protect our sex. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Again, this is serious. It's not a game. What Jesus is talking about, we need to take heed. Here's some other verses, and and, and these references will be up on the screen, and and I'm going to read from some of them here this morning because this is in the whole of Scripture. This is what we see about the seriousness and the parameters. In in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God and such were some of you but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and then in verse 18 it goes down he says flee from sexual immorality every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God you are not your own For you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, it says, For this is God's will for your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in his own holiness and honor. Hebrews 13, verse 4, Let the marriage... Let marriage be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Ephesians 5, verses 3 to 5, it talks about not even allowing a hint of sexual immorality in our lives. We want to do away with it. We want to keep it at bay. We want to see that area in our lives, those temptations halted, the sin confessed. And so God's word, he calls us to a wartime mentality. Take this serious. And yet so oftentimes when it comes to this area, instead of a wartime mentality, we kind of have a country club mentality, thinking, ah, what's the big deal? Everyone struggles with it. I know other Christian men. I know other Christian women. They watch Fifty Shades of Grey. They read certain books. They're doing this. He's looking at porn. But the instruction is here is that we are to do this on our own. We we don't go and, and, and start cutting off things from other people and, and gouging eyes and, and, and hands in that we do this on our own. We examine our own lives in this area. Jesus talks pretty extreme. It's, it's a big deal. And Jesus is calling radical action. He's talking gouging eyes and cutting off hands. And what he's basically getting at here is that there's serious consequences, eternal consequences for sexual sin. And so Jesus says this to take radical action. The right eye, why do you say right eye? Well, oftentimes it is regarded as the person's good eye. Uh, in the right hand, again, it was considered your strong hand, your good hand. Sorry, left-handed people. Um, you know, but, but, but this is the consideration that was given. Be ready to do away with your very best in order to remain uh, pure in this. Jesus is not telling us to do this literally, however. He even tells us in another occasion that, that, that if we need to chop off a hand or a foot, 
Um, we, need to, we need to do that. And he's doing that in a way, take serious action against sin. If we are all to do this, literally, there'd be a lot of eye patches walking in here next week and a lot of bandages on, on, on right hands. And truth be known, that should have been done, been done a long time ago. And so then it's like, I'm still struggling. Gouge out the other eye. Be a lot of blind people. A lot of people without appendages. Is that what he's calling us to do? No, he's calling us radical action. He's telling us, do whatever is necessary. If it means gouging out your eye, if it means cutting off your hand. And yet those are external things. It's, it's an inner change that needs to happen. But the externals, oftentimes we have to deal with that. We have to handle it. D.L. Moody said, said this, great quote. Sow a thought and reap an act. Sow an act and reap a habit. Sow a habit and reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. You see, we can become so comfortable with the sin around us and the sin that we're a part of, and we lose the shock and the importance of following God's word in this. This past week, I drove down to the coast for a, a meeting um, with another church leader, and, and it was a gorgeous trip. Oh, man, driving there right now is just absolutely amazing. It was a sunny sky, sunny, sunny sky, and just the leaves are changing beautifully in the mountains, and as you come into the Fraser Valley, the lower mainland, the fields are nice and green, and, and, and I love the farms and the silos, and it just looks so awesome, and then off in the distance, I saw this somewhat greenish-looking tractor going through the fields, and then I saw what it was doing. I was like, oh boy, hold on, and next thing you know, I mean, that, strong, that smell was so strong. It was like burning the nostrils. You know what it was, the brown machine that was going around. It was spreading the stuff all over the place. And, and it was so strong. Uh, myself and the others that were with me, they, we were going out like this. We had our shirt, you know, our noses. We just couldn't take. And I'm like, turn on, they recycled it. And it's like, oh, too late. It's all infiltrated. Roll down the windows. Oh, it's just so strong. And it was just so brutal. And, and it continued, Chilliwack and into Abbotsford. And it's like, oh. And, and as we got talking, we were thinking, you know, what about the poor farmers? What about the people that live here? And both of us talking from some experience of other people in similar situations that after a while you don't even notice it. You don't even notice the smell. You get used to it. What a dangerous place to be. What a dangerous place to be when we think we can just handle our own sin and here we're reflecting in our minds, in our actions, the sewage of sexual immorality. And today... It's maybe where many of us are at today. We're in the sludge. We're in the sewer of lust, sexual sin, pornography, social media, surfing, lusting in that way, lingering where we should not be lingering, going to places we ought not to be going, off on business trips and indulging in things we ought not to be indulging in. And it becomes just a way of your thinking. You don't even think about it today. It's just, you know, there's really no guilt or, or any just like, oh, well, that's just the way I am. Colossians 3, 5, it says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly, and you, sexual immorality, put it away, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He's like, put it away, deal with it, get help. And these are the words of Jesus, they're so sobering, and, and, um, and Jesus is saying it, and he says it twice, He's saying, and then he says it later on, just in the seriousness of sin, it's better to lose body parts, it's better to go into heaven maimed than to go into hell and have a body intact. 
And you say, Jesus will send people to hell for this? Here's what he's saying. If a person is unwilling to take radical action when it comes to lust and sexual sin, thinking it's okay or just justifying it with no repentance, no remorse, just saying, well, that's just the way I am. I'm just going to keep going in this area. Not willing to stop, not willing to get help to do whatever it takes. What Jesus is saying is that it's very likely that this gives evidence of a heart that has never truly been transformed. Someone who is not saved, even though they may go to church and pray to prayer. That if there's no desire, no remorse, no Nothing within the Holy Spirit is not indwelling in that person. I do not believe, and, and Scripture backs it up over and over again, that you can, I do not believe you can lose your salvation. Once you are saved, you are in Christ. But why is he saying this? Because someone who is in Christ is going to feel guilt, remorse, and when confronted with the truth, we're going to deal with it. We're going to want to get it right before God. We just don't continue on in our struggle. We get help. We, we just don't yield to it. We confess it. We find healing and forgiveness and cleansing and help. So Jesus is saying, do whatever it takes. What might it take for you? Going back to a flip phone where you can't text, where you can't surf the web. Maybe it's disabling web browsers using accountability apps that track your web history and sends it to an accountability partner like Covenant Eyes. Maybe it's not having any sort of electronic devices in the bedroom. Or that whenever you're using your phones, whenever you're using any sort of internet kind of capability uh, machine or, or device that, that it's in the presence of other people in a room. You say, that's so, like, I mean, that's so old-fashioned. Maybe it's getting rid of cable TV or internet or Netflix or romance novels or magazines. Maybe there's people you need to defriend or block or you need to get off social media altogether because it has just become a cesspool of lust for you. And maybe after you've been walking in some freedom, you would re-enter some of that into your life if you really can't live without it. You can. Maybe you need to change your job because of the pressure and because of the temptation and because of relationships there that are inappropriate and, and you need, Jesus saying, do whatever it takes. Get serious about it. A couple who is dating, regardless of age, if you're finding yourselves going too far physically, even constantly ending, ending up in bed together, you need serious accountability, you need to stop. You may need to break up for a season or for good. Jesus is saying, this is serious, this is serious. John Owen says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So we have to make war against it. We need to take matters very seriously. But folks, I want to tell you there's hope. There's hope and there's healing and there is a life beyond compare than what we're settling for now. If we're in bondage, if we're in slavery to this kind of thing. One of the greatest men in the Bible one of the greatest, most difficult stories, yet most amazing story is the story of David, a king, a man who loved the Lord, a man after God's own heart. I mean, pages of our Bibles have been written by this man of God. He wrote songs and psalms and, 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 and so much and, and lived with such great faith and did great things for God. But then he too fell. He was ensnared by his own lustful desires 
that first of all started with a first glance and a second look, and next thing you know, he ended up committing adultery. Many of you know this story. Adultery led to cover it up by murdering the woman's Bathsheba's husband, having him taken out. And the sin, his lust led to adultery, to murder, and he covered it up. He had no conviction, it would seem, for a season in his life. No remorse. Seemed to think, hey, I got away with this. In fact, he was the hero because he took this, this soldier of war who died in battle. Yeah, because David put him on the front lines. He takes his wife, and here the lady was pregnant, and he takes this young boy to be his own son. It was because it was his own son. And he appeared to be getting away with it. And God in his love sent to him a messenger, Nathan, the prophet, to confront him. And he did so in a very unique way. He did so by telling him a story about a wealthy sheep owner. Had lots of sheep, had lots of wealth. But then he went and ruthlessly stole a sheep from a very poor family. Took this, this sheep that was like a pet in the home from the poor man, from the poor family. And the thief had the sheep killed. And he served it to his guests. Upon hearing the story, David said, who is that man who did that? That man must die for what he has done. And Nathan flips the tables and says, you are that man. And in that moment of conviction, David was broken. And his brokenness led to confession. Read Psalm 51. Psalm 51 continues on and we see his confession led to his forgiveness. His forgiveness led to his healing. His healing led to his restoration. David, a man after God's own heart. Today, Jesus, he confronts us here in the Sermon on the Mount as he's preaching to the multitude. And as we read it here today, as we look at it, this word, he confronts us with this truth. You are the man. You are the woman. I am that man. If you're in a season of victory in this area in your life today, would you be filled with great gratitude? Basically, I think there's about three attitudes in here this morning. One of ignorance. Some of this is like, hey, I didn't know this. Hey, I plead the fifth. I think that's an American thing. But, you know, like, I, 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 I had no idea. And, and there was ignorance about this. And, and now you've been enlightened about what God's word has to say. I encourage you to keep digging into it. You didn't realize the things that you're doing is, is, is working and creating towards something that is not good. And, and so there's ignorance on that. And so confess that before God and have his spirit teach you and his word teach you and, and others instruct you and, and, and walk with you in this area. The other attitude is arrogance. Thinking, yeah, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. It's not a problem, not an issue for me. You are that man. You are that woman, the Lord says today. The other attitude is gratitude. Gratitude that you're perhaps in a season of victory right now, and yet God's word says, be careful for where you stand, that you do not fall. It's so oftentimes that we can, uh, 1 Corinthians 10 says that, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. There's going to be a trap. The enemy is waiting with a trap around the next corner. It might be the area of lust. It might be another area of sinfulness in your life. And so have a heart of gratitude. But here's the reality, Proverbs 28, 13. It says, he who covers his sin will not prosper. 
Listen to this, cover your sin and the Lord will, if you cover your sin, the Lord will eventually expose it. But expose your sin and the Lord will cover it. He will cover it with his healing, with his forgiveness. Jesus died so that we could be set free, so we wouldn't be slaves. We wouldn't be slaves to sin and to guilt. Cry out to him. Don't reject his offer. Today, if you're hearing, I am that man, I am that woman, confess that before God. On the screen, there's some verses that you may want to write down or snap a picture of that. These can be some daily scripture verses, and there's many others, but this is just a sampling of just some daily prayers and scripture verses that you can pray over yourself, over your family. Pursuing a pure mind and a pure life. But the way to freedom, folks, the way that we get help is in utilizing the resources that God has given to us. And what are those resources? The word of God and the church, the body of Christ. And so to find ourselves admitting, hey, I'm that man, I am that woman, first step, Deep repentance. Confess your sin. Jesus said, or uh, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He'll forgive us of all our sins. Take and read David's prayer, his psalm of confession in Psalm 51. Jesus loves you. He will forgive you no matter what, no matter the sin. The one who calls us to take drastic actions today took the ultimate and the most real drastic actions his hands were not that precious to him that he wasn't willing to have them pierced so you and I could be forgiven. So that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty for our sin. We can be totally and completely cleansed and forgiven today. Have right standing before God and made new. So first of all, deep repentance. Confess your sin before God. Second of all, take drastic measures, whatever it takes. Some of the things that I mentioned may need to happen. Setting up accountability in your life. And that's the third one, accountability. You see, we fall into this trap on our own. We fall into it naturally. Sometimes we can fall into it innocently. I think of the first time that I came across a pornographic magazine. Innocent. And yet, it started in my own mind, in my own thinking, images and thoughts that, that destroyed a, a young boy of 11, I was probably 10 or 11 years old, shouldn't have seen that at that time. And yet, God brings that forgiveness. We fall into the trap on our own, sometimes innocently, but rarely, when it comes to sexual sin, will we ever overcome it on our own. If you've done that, praise the Lord for that, but it's very rare. That most victory and, and true victory and healing comes through accountability, through the body of Christ, the gift that he's given us. And it needs to be brought out in the open and have other brothers. If you're, if you're a male, you have other brothers stand with you and pray with you. If you're female, you have others, females, stand with you and pray with you in this, in openness and honesty. There's a great book called Finally Free by Heath Lambert. And it's getting together, a group of guys, getting together and studying and working through that and holding one another accountable. This week in your small group, when the men go with the men and the women go with the women and say, hey, listen, 
I've been confessing this area of sin, but now I want to bring it to the table to you men so you can stand with me and pray with me and hold me accountable. And, and there can be some love and some care that can happen there for men and for women in this. Without openness and honesty, it won't be broken. And so confess to God, confess to one another. Have others walk with you in this. Take whatever drastic measures that are necessary and healing and freedom can be yours. I'm going to ask the band to come and ask everyone to bow their heads at this time.